Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco's Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more.
Hello. Hi, I'm up here. I don't normally get this view of the sanctuary on Sunday, and it's great. And of course, I love it when I get to play the organ, so I hope you enjoyed that prelude this morning. Actually, it's a recorded prelude of Reiko san playing, so I hope you enjoyed it, but it wasn't me. I am really grateful today to have Miwa and Ben and Brielle here with us, leading us in music, and to have Sharon and David helping lead the worship, to have Jonathan and Eric, and also Joe working behind the scenes, behind the cameras, all people I can take in from here, and of course, also Roberto for keeping us warm and safe this morning. Thanks to everyone who's here, and everyone who's here virtually with us this morning. I can see Mark Sumner. I think I see you in Oklahoma. Are you, are you wearing that same black bathrobe with the colored musical notes? Well, I hope you're enjoying your family. And I think I see Judy Payne, who actually dropped flowers by for the altar and an altar cloth. She wasn't very happy with the sad bouquet I managed to piece together last week. So we have a beautiful altar this morning. Thanks to you, Judy. And it's great to see all of you including all of you who are joining us for the first time this Sunday. So I hope all of you see that there's an order of service you can download. You can look at it um, on your computers or you can try and print it out at home if you have that ability. Sing along, follow along. If you're new, sign up to get our newsletter, our weekly and our monthly newsletter. That's the best way to stay in touch and get connected as we figure out how to get connected in new ways these days. So it's great to have you all here. Our offering this morning also will begin a series of offerings to help and respond to those in need, and it will begin this week with an offering that was initiated by a member and her gift that we um, will begin a set of funds for those people in the congregation, members and friends who find themselves in financial distress to be able to offer some help. And of course, you all should be getting a call in the next week or two from members checking up on members to find out and make sure we're all doing okay or find out if we're not what sort of support we need. So expect a phone call, maybe more than one since our lists overlap, but we figured more calls is better than none. So we, we hope you're all doing well and we look forward to finding out. So just one more invitation, join the virtual coffee hour after service. You can see links below on our Zoom page and in your order of service on how to do that too. And welcome, welcome to worship. Let's do a quick body prayer. You won't be able to see it all from where you are, I don't think, but some of you know it, just to stretch. So get up, stand firmly on your feet, and let's get our bodies moving. This rainy early spring day, we begin in our centered pose. And then we cast our eyes and our hands upward toward the expanse above. Open our arms to the full and richness, the blessings of this day, so abundant we can feel them weighty in our arms. Turn our hands down and sweep them through those blessings dropped at our feet like pearls, taking in what ones we can and pressing them into us, and then offering ourselves as we are to the world this day. So let's do it through twice more together as we begin worship, beginning in our centered pose, eyes and hands up, arms open to the richness, hands 
gathering blessings for the day, holding them close, offering ourselves back to centered and again. Please join me in our unison chalice lighting. And if you want to light a candle or your own chalice, now's the time to find it. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. We have also been lighting a candle every morning since we've been apart as a symbol and reminder of all of you who are gathered, bringing you into this space until we can be together, body and spirit. So we do that also. And then we say together the words of our covenant, our promises to each other. Please say them with me. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another.
have our brief invitations. As Vanessa said, it's lovely to have you all with us. I'm Sharon Weld, the ministerial intern at First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. For those of you who are visiting with us, please look for the links in the order of service or in the notes on your YouTube page about how to get connected to all that is going on in congregational life in this new chapter of figuring out what that means. There are links to sign up to get our weekly and monthly newsletters, which you will find useful. They are the best way to stay up to date. We're asking many of you to help us reach out to one another this week, as Vanessa said. So should you get a call, there may be more than one because many of our lists overlap, we just want to find out how folks are weathering these last two weeks and doing a big attempt to reach out and catch all of you. So be ready for a friendly call. Two other updates. This a letter from Nancy Buffum and Joe Dellert, who are running our annual giving. Welcome this morning to this wonderful window into our beloved community. Thanks to our dedicated ministers and staff. Our hearts are full of gratitude for this space and for you, every member, friend, and visitor in the congregation, whether sheltering in place alone or adjusting to closer quarters with family members and housemates, giving and receiving together through Zoom, live, live stream calls and emails. To you who have so generous, generously pledged to the 2021 Annual Operating Fund Campaign, thank you. And thank you for your patience in receiving formal acknowledgments of your pledge, which are going out today and tomorrow. If you have not yet pledged, please join us. Individual pledges are the largest source of funding for the ongoing work and ministry of our church. We're getting closer to our goal of $625,000 for the 2021 year. 100% participation in contributions of any amount will carry us there. And there's that chance to win a three-day stay at Mar Marty Vandalin's Lake Tahoe cabin when this crisis has passed. Click on the green button on the UUSF.org website by March 31st. And most importantly, know that through good times and bad, we are all in this together. 
you may wonder, what if I can't pay my pledge later on? Financial hardship should never keep you from our community's embrace. If you make a pledge but later find yourself needing to change that, please just contact our minister. Thank you all for being here this morning and for being part of our beloved community, Nancy and Joe. And also this, April is Poetry Month. So join, we will be having the every Thursday noon to one weekly full mouth lunchtime poetry gathering in April. If you want to participate, email Vanessa and she'll send the Zoom link for video, call, video or call in for phone participation. Send a favorite poem too in advance if you want to share it. Send it to Vanessa so she can make a plan for the luncheon program. Please come. I believe these are all our updates. It's lovely to be with you this morning. Now we will move to our ritual of remembrance and commitment. Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of two such instances of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong as we have done since last summer in honor of the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in our detention camps. And we let its ringing symbolically stand also for those adults who have lost their lives in these camps and for those who remain. Many are separated from their families and many wait in makeshift refugee camps at our border. And today, we also ring our gong for other losses, those most on our minds this week, those lost to the virus we know by name. As of Saturday, worldwide, there were 27,441 deaths from COVID-19. 2,227 were in the United States. We ring our gong for these lives too. May we keep those we have named and their families in our thoughts and prayers and may we ease the tide of human suffering this week, howsoever we can.
Please join me in a time of prayer. Spirit of life and love, God of so many names and none at all, we are straining with the horror of this pandemic. This virus has turned the world upside down while losses mount daily before our eyes. We pray for so many people in its path, those whose lives have been lost, their families and loved ones, people ill and suffering without the resources for help. We pray for people sick and scared and left alone to cope, for those who worry daily, wondering who will be next. We pray especially for those courageous people on the front lines of this disaster, nurses, doctors, medics, technicians, and so very many more. We pray for their families as well, the partners and the children whose parents go to work despite the risk. May we witness to their bravery and wish them all safely home. And may we all across the world learn from this disaster and find new and better ways of living together on this planet. Ways where love and kindness are the pole stars of our lives and sharing and mutual support the norm. Perhaps we will finally know that we are all connected May we all do whatever part is ours to do and turn this horror into the better world we hope for. Perhaps our efforts at connection now will be the start. Amen. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in. My name is David Heilbrunn. Why do I support the first Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco? That is a story. About four years ago, my wife of 52 years 
died of metastatic breast cancer decades after the first symptoms of her disease. After an extended visit with my daughter, who lives near Seattle, I found myself alone and in need of community. I recalled that as a single man in the early 60s, I occasionally had, had attended the Unitarian Church in San Jose. The memory of openness, lack of dogma, and warmth of spirit appealed to me. So I ventured here to UUSF on a Sunday in August 2016. Several months later, I became a member. Seeking community is why I first came here, and community remains the most important value to me. I also appreciate the work of Unitarian Universalists to promote diversity, and especially their struggles for racial, social, and environmental justice. As a non-believer since my teens, I naturally gravitated to the humanist and non-theist group in which I have been active. The Sunday morning forum also appealed to me. That is where I sat next to Dolores early on and afterward discussed the presentation with her. She now admits that my analysis led her to think I could be an asset working on UUSF committees. I guess she decided to cultivate me. While we were discussing music on a later Sunday, she asked me if I knew about the San Francisco Symphony Concert celebrating El Dia de los Muertos. She invited me to attend it, and we have a photo of us there in front of a large butterfly, a cherished memento. I am also a symphony patron, and we continued attending concerts together, an important part of our shared life until very recently. In my second year of membership here, Reverend Vanessa became our senior minister. I have appreciated her warmth and ideas, the wide range of her reading, and some insightful sermons. My relationship with Dolores progressed like an opera in three acts. One wedding date was postponed, but finally we were married by Reverend John Buren's in the fireside room on September 15, 2018. Last year, before a Sunday service themed The Love Boat, Vanessa asked if she could mention our marriage from the pulpit. From there, she asked us to stand and be recognized. See, love could come to you too, here at UUSF. Come my way, my truth, my life. 
Jesus gives us breath, such a truth as ends all strife, such a life as killeth death. Come, my light, my feast, my strength, such a light as shows a feast, such a feast as man's in length, such a strength as makes his rest. Come, my joy, my love, my heart, such a joy as none can move, such a love as none can part. Such a heart as joys in love. Our story this morning is drawn from the Buddhist tradition. There are a few versions of it, but they largely tell the same story. It's a story that is often read as a tale about loss and grief. But this morning it feels relevant to talk about it as a story that helps us look at this question of perspective. It's one of two that are told about a person named Kisa Gotami. Kisa Gotami is a young woman from, by all accounts, a prosperous and well-placed family. She married well, and in the story, she has just begun her family, her larger family, with the birth of their first child. However, the child, just one years old, dies. And Kisa Gotami is broken-hearted and beside herself. Possessed with grief, she carries the child limp in her arms from village to village, asking anyone she meets if they know of a medicine or someone who can bring this child back to life. Nobody does. But finally, she meets someone on the road who says that they've heard that the Buddha could sometimes restore life and tells her where she might find him. Kisa Gotami goes there and finds the Buddha teaching his disciples. And when he steps aside, he hears her story. 
He says he will help her. But he says first, there's something she needs to do. She must go and find just one house, just one, that has never experienced death. And then from that house, she must ask for four or five mustard seeds and bring those back to him. She's thrilled and sets out without a moment's rest to find such a home and return with those seeds in hand. Days go by. Days go by. And finally, she does return, but empty-handed. She has no mustard seeds, but she has something else. She has understanding. There is no house that escapes death and the heartbreak it brings. And somehow, knowing that makes all the difference. Here ends our reading. Our offering, as I mentioned earlier today, will go toward those who are finding themselves in financial distress at this time. So you can send a check marked discretionary fund by snail mail, or you can look on the website for the button that says donate, and there's a special place there for designating a special donation, which this is. So thank you all for your generosity in helping us take care of one another. And so our morning offering will be both given and gratefully received. life. 
Kisugo Tami had just suffered what, from my perspective at least, is the worst loss a human being can endure. It's the kind of loss that often splits up marriages, the grief so searing, such a blight that even, even the love between parents can't always hold up through the long chapters of grief. And in the story, she is, as I always picture her, a pathetic and sad figure, the dead and limp child in her arms as she walks, crazed door to door for what we all know is impossible, the dead brought back to life. And who would have the heart to tell her that it's not possible because we can all imagine being so torn apart with despair. And then she is sent to the Buddha. In some versions, he says he will bring this child back to life if she brings him those seeds, but at the very least, he promises her some help. And so he sends her out to learn what he knows before he sends her to tell her what she'll learn going door to door. It would just sound callous, wouldn't it? To have her hear it, though, as we imagine she does at each doorway, one by one, the stories of grief and loss each of those household has endured and why they cannot, though they wish they could, for more reasons than one, give her those seeds and the answer she wants. It must break her heart, household by household. Each encounter slowly must dash this hope that her child will be brought back to her, but so too does each encounter give her something to put in place of that hope. Call it Solidarity, a whole world that holds the truth and pain and grief and heartbreak of loss with her. And so too is there this growing understanding that no one is spared. It's so common for all of us in moments of grief or hardship or pain of any kind to say, why me? Feeling overwhelmed by what we must hold, we wonder, why now? Why us? Why this? Why me? But the whole fabric of life when we can see it, often takes us to where Kisogo Tami does go empty-handed of an answer to that particular question, but an understanding that makes us ask a different one. Why not me? Why would I be spared what no one is spared? 
My outside of church book club chose to read The Ghost Map this month. I don't know if you know it, but it's a non-fiction book by Stephen Johnson on the cholera epidemic in London in the 1850s. It's fascinating, it's incredibly well written, though not always as you might imagine, well, a cheery or pleasant read. Cholera and the particular strain that hit London in the 1850s was brutal, often killing its victims in less than 24 hours. And the descriptions of the suffering and of the sewage-ridden homes and lives of the citizens of London, they're enough to make you want to get down on your knees and kiss the possibly COVID-ridden pavements of any part of the 2020 Bay Area streets and neighborhoods, and to hug the hospitals and clinics and urgent care facilities and bow down to the heroes of modern medicine. More to the point, the book's larger nod to the larger landscape of public health disasters, the scourges from previous eras, from bubonic plague to smallpox. It doesn't even get to Spanish flu and MERS and SARS and Ebola. Well, just that quick look makes you realize just how strong our public health infrastructure is and how well-informed, better informed our disease models are, but also the whole long history of disease that is part of human history. Bacteria and viruses, they have shown us they are incredibly determined to persist, as determined as human beings are. And some are willing and have been able to live symbiotically with us, but there are a fair number who are as brutal in how they execute their survival instinct as we human beings have been from time to time. Which is to say, if you and I were to go to each age in human history and ask for a house not ravaged by the reality or threat of disease, we would, like Kisa Gotami in our story, be forced to come back empty-handed and maybe like her to realize instead, why not us? That's not a comforting shift in perspective, I'll grant you, but maybe it's grounding. Grounding, perhaps, whenever we see the larger landscape of life, of history, and we put our own experience into that landscape and we see how it fits. Maybe we are scared, vulnerable, uncertain in whatever we face, just as Gotami was brokenhearted and grieving, but, but we're not alone. And realizing that, I think the question we ask changes a little. It's the one that human beings have had to ask and answer for all of human history, which is, how do I live in the midst of suffering and uncertainty? 
That, of course, is the biggest or one of the biggest questions that religions and philosophical traditions have been wrestling with and struggling to answer and give answers for and debated for millennia. And we will, no doubt, in the months ahead, engage some of the answers they've come up with. But I think we need a few handholds these days not views up the mountain. So I wanted to look for simpler ways to approach the answers. How do we live in the midst of suffering and hardship? How do we find our way? Ron Heifetz, who's a professor at the Kennedy School at Harvard University, thinks that leaders, and I would say that all of us are actually, of course, the leaders and authors of our own lives, so it applies to all of us. He said we must get up off the dance floor, or maybe out of the pews, you might say, and up onto the balcony. We have to find ways, in other words, to step out of the daily business and the chaos and the constant motion of life where we live it, to glimpse occasionally from, from the God's eye view, the bird's eye view, the Reiko eye view of the world. And in doing so, of course, we often find we see things differently and can see our way through them. For instance, it can be really easy for us to see the impediments and risks and vulnerabilities we face in a day or in a chapter of our lives. And we should, because they're real. And denial isn't healthy. A relative of mine who, with a friend, started a chain of restaurants now has to see whether they can weather all the shutdowns or if the years of their work that have created this are going to disappear. Our godson, who came for spring break for a couple of weeks, he's told he'll do his entire spring term of his freshman year of college at our kitchen table. <laughs> People I love in New York are wondering how long they can last without having to leave the house. These are real impediments. But these and other people I know, and people and stories you know, and your own too, of scary circumstances, well, they all have, we all have also, stories of incredible resilience and personal strength in the face of adversity. And so I wonder, for instance, if we get up on the balcony, stepping our way there, aware of all the challenges we face, what would it mean to stand there looking down at the patterns of our lives, but look for hardship overcome? Look for astounding personal resilience? Like David's story, just that piece of it we heard. What would we remember in doing that that would give us confidence and courage? Remember, that's true about us. And more so, 
If we say all that, if we see all that, would we tell a different story about where we are right now and how we can get through it? Or think about how easy it is to see what's irritating or not going well or frustrating. I mean, being indoors all these cabin fever days or going and waiting on those ridiculous lines a hundred people long before the store even opens with all these folks anxious, ourselves included, about whether we'll get groceries and all of our plans on hold. I mean, will I ever be able to get a haircut? I cut my bangs this week, and heaven knows if we're on hold out too much longer, it could be dangerous. <laughs> and these are just superficial frustrations, some of them, and potential losses. But they're so easy to see, aren't they, and get caught up in. So what would it mean to go up to the balcony, taking all of those frustrations and thoughts with us in our lives, but look for what's going right, right now, even now. I know lots of you are doing that because you've talked about it. And just this week, I put out to everyone, if they weren't already doing it, to try and start a daily gratitude practice. It's the perfect time. It's the thing my family does around our dining room table every evening. We say just one thing, one thing that we're grateful for, but you can't repeat yourself. You have to find something new every day. And so the effect is that it gets you treasure hunting for the good, the grace in life. And it's amazing what you find when you look for things that way. It's like you're building a new muscle, or, or it reminds me of how people who start to take up photography talk about the way it literally changes their perspective on the world they see. Where everywhere they go now, they're looking for works of art framed by their eyes in ways they never had before. It's the same with the gratitude lens, right? You start thinking things that you might not have before. I'm grateful for ventilators, for Zoom, that I'm allowed to go out of my house and walk? That fresh water comes in through a pipe even when everything else is shut down? That truck drivers drive and grocers stay open and farmers and farmhands till the land that makes sure I'm fed? I mean, from that vantage point, is the church empty now? Or are we just spread like the winds everywhere in some huge expanse? And like the resilience lens, if we look from the balcony looking for what's right, does that change the story we see and tell about where we are right now and how we can get through it? 
Finally, I owe this one to Dr. Ethan Cross of the University of Michigan, who suggested it in a podcast that I've been listening to this winter called The Happiness Lab that was started by a Yale professor. Dr. Cross, an expert in emotional regulation, suggests using time on the balcony as a time to, so follow me here, look ahead to the future, and standing there, look back on where we are. And then, he says, ask ourselves, what would it mean someday to tell the story about this chapter of our lives, about how we weathered this set of challenges? Or put another way, what is the story we would like to tell about how we lived through this time? We can feel incredibly powerless to be as uncertain as we are about what will happen, to be forced to stay at home, to watch things we have carefully built disappear. But what Dr. Cross reminds us is that we still have authorship in our lives, of our lives. I mean, people who've lived in Beautiful, easy, generous, fortunate times have lived in superficial and destructive ways, and others who have faced the most atrocious of circumstances have done so with courage and generosity and kindness, with optimism and resilience. You and I, we, we almost never get to choose the circumstances of our lives, never all of them. But we do get to write the story of the person by our name, the person who lived through these circumstances. And if we write it in advance, a draft of this story, and then have the ability to go back and go down from the balcony onto the dance floor with a plan for our steps and partners we know we want to spin around with for a time, well, we get to write the story or have a chance. How did Vanessa weather the COVID-19 epidemic? Did she grow wiser or more selfish? Did she, did she get more connected or did she shut down? Did she feel the thread of her suffering connecting to the thread of all struggle through time and across nations and people, and did it change her, or was she strangely unchanged by it all? What role did she play, and did it make a difference? What about you? Kisa Gotami, with her empty hands, empty of the seeds that she so desperately hoped to bring to this man who said that he could help her. Kisagotami still holding the body of the child in her arms, still with a broken heart. She returned to the Buddha 
And nothing had changed but her perspective on suffering, on her suffering. And so it seemed everything had changed. Some say after this, she buried the child and took her vows and followed the Buddha, continuing her path to becoming an enlightened being, that that was the story she wrote. What will be yours? Perspective on life. Gratitude, resilience, authorship, the view from the balcony and the, the meaning we make of it. Bless the stories we write in these days. Amen. You can join hands with those who are close to you. 
and symbolically we are connected across time and space. And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.
was waiting for you Just like little girls and boys Playing with their little toys Seemed like all we really were doing Was waiting for love Thanks for listening to this podcast of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco Sunday morning worship service. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. Exactly where my life